0: So what are we doing here this morning? Why all of this elaborate um, activity and all of the incredibly difficult work that a lot of people have had to do to pull this off? I want you to notice in your worship guide something we said, and it was on the second page in the psalm. Psalm 104, verse 30. When you, when God, when you send forth your spirit... They are created and you renew the face of the ground. This is a reference to a number of things. One, it's a reference back to the very beginning of the Bible, right? At the very beginning, if you've read the first page of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and the spirit of the Lord hovered over the earth. And so it's this image of God's Spirit like a dove, like a bird, hovering. And then what happens out of the hovering of the Spirit of God? Creation. All of the earth is is kind of drawn into its life. And then we have in Psalm 104, our psalm this morning, we have the psalmist telling us that this is going to be done again. That there's going to come a day When God's Spirit again hovers and again creates, and he draws out of the earth this creative work, he renews the face of the earth. Why does the earth need to be renewed? Because after God created in the beginning, sin came. And when sin came, it wasn't only a thing about you and me. It wasn't only that humans are now um, sinful people. But the whole earth was marred by it. And so there's this promise in Scripture that God is going to again create. And it'll be like it was in the beginning. It'll involve the Spirit of God coming down, hovering, and drawing out of creation this renewal work. So why are we here? What are we doing? We're here because God has done that. Because God fulfilled his promise. On the day of Pentecost, we heard the passage read. There they are gathered together. And once again, the spirit of God hovers. And notice when the spirit of God hovers and the face of the earth is renewed, notice what he starts with. He started with the church. He started by making the church. This is what we call the birthday of the church, the day of Pentecost. And the first great act of renewal is that God heals the nations. In Acts chapter 2, if we had kept reading, well, it was actually in the part of the reading we did, there was this list of all the nations. Back in Genesis chapter 11, at the Tower of Babel, right before the Tower of Babel, we have a list of nations. And then we get to the Tower of Babel, And we have humanity rising up, rebelling against God, and God curses humanity. He judges them. He disciplines them by confusing their language. So in Genesis 11, we have a list of nations and then a language miracle. Then in Acts chapter 2, we have a list of nations and a language miracle. On the day of Pentecost, At Babel, I'm sorry, in Genesis 11, at Babel, Yahweh, God, places a curse on human language. At Pentecost, everyone hears the good news that heals the curse in his own language. What's happening is that the day of Pentecost is unraveling the knots of human rebellion that occurred At the Tower of Babel, at Babel, God confuses the languages of the people of the earth, and the nations are divided from each other, and they're estranged from one another. At Pentecost, through the gift of the Spirit, God unites the nations through a common confession and baptism. So at Babel, the nations are scattered. At Pentecost, nations are gathered. What I want you to see is that when God promised he would send his spirit and it would renew the face of the earth, it started with the healing of the rift between the nations. If we had kept reading in Acts chapter 2, keep going on in the chapter, we would see that at the end of the chapter, this group of people from different nations who have just heard the gospel, it says they devoted themselves. Who's the they? the Parthians, the Midianites, the Medes, all these different nations. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles, and all who believed were together. Do you see what brought them together? What brings them together is the Lord Jesus Christ, and their common devotion to him, they, they who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, the reason we've come here and we're gathering together, our Sudanese congregation, our English-speaking congregation, is because this is what Pentecost is about. It is about God knitting us together in one body through one spirit and one baptism because we are devoted to one Savior. Jesus Christ. In other words, through the Spirit, the church becomes the one and only United Nations. So we're celebrating the great unifying work of God to heal the nations through his Son. And we're doing this in worship. Because in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, it culminates in worship. Because that passage I just read to you, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's a description of worship. Service of the word and service of the table. This is the first description of the first church at its first worship service. That's what Pentecost culminates in. It culminates in a worship service. That's what we're doing here this morning. So there are things that are just like they are every Sunday for us. We're reading the scriptures. We're reading the Psalms. We're gathering together. We're confessing Jesus as Lord. And we're doing this in a common worship service. Now, Acts chapter 2, the first Pentecost, doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with this. Because you'll notice that it's worship that's marked by a feast. In the Bible, you cannot find a worship service that doesn't have food. All the way back, the world broke in a meal, and God heals the world at meals. But not just any old meals, worship culminating in a meal. And so when the early church gathered in homes and they worshiped, and then they shared a meal together, we can't can't pull off a full meal every Sunday, but we can find Sundays like this where we can do that. And so this, this goes all the way back through the Bible. In fact, our Old Testament reading, rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are among you. In the book of Deuteronomy, rejoice before the Lord. That's code speak for a worship service. When you read through the book of Deuteronomy, um, it, I notice that with Bishop Andudu and the Sudanese, they don't call this a worship service. They say we're praying together. So Bishop Bandudu, when he first came, he would often say to me, it was great praying with you today, Aubrey. Different cultures call this thing different things. In Deuteronomy, this is called rejoice before the Lord. Now, what does that mean when we call it rejoice before the Lord? It's a clue that when the church gathers in worship, it should be joyful. Joy should be the dominant note of what we do. It should be more dominant than reflection. It should be more dominant than sitting quiet and thinking deep thoughts about God. Joy is the dominant, not the only, but it's the dominant note. In fact, remember when Paul was talking to the Ephesians and he said, look, don't get drunk with wine that's dissipation, but be filled, be filled with the Spirit. Why does Paul in Ephesians say use drunkenness in the same sentence as when he's thinking about being full of the Spirit? Because when the Spirit of God fell at the day of Pentecost, what did people who weren't a part of it think was happening? They thought they were drunk because that's the right mistake to make. Because that is a likely mistake. The implication is that when God's people are filled with God's spirit, something about it looks like a party where people are getting drunk. There's something about it that they are filled with the spirit is something sort of like being drunk, being filled with spirits. You see, what's going on here is that the spirit doesn't make us into quiet Placid, mild people. When we're filled with the Spirit, we cannot help but sing. Our speech breaks out into psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. A church filled with the Spirit is a church filled with music in our mouths and in our hearts. A home filled with the Spirit is a home filled with music in your mouths and in your hearts. And worship that is filled with joy and music, it doesn't stop there. It inevitably gets around to a meal, to feasting. It culminates in a feast. This is what we saw in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 11. We come to rejoice before the Lord. And who's there? Our sons and our daughters and all of the people, the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow, they're all there. They're worshiping, they're singing, and they're eating. And in the book of Deuteronomy and in Acts, this was for many people the best meal they had all week. That's why we're doing this. That's why we've been asking you for a month now. Make the best food you know how to make. Let's gather together. Let's eat a meal and let's sing these songs. Throughout the Bible, God tells his people that a few times a year they should change their rhythm. They should make a journey, and they should have a worship service that involves a full meal, a great meal, not just leftovers. They should pull out all the stops. They should have steak and lamb and wine and dessert, and it should look like a real party. And who should be on the guest list? The rich and the poor, the the citizens and the immigrants, the sojourners, the All the generations, the parents and the kids, they should all be there feasting before the Lord. A church that is filled with the Spirit is a church whose worship culminates in joy-filled feasting within a diverse community, united by its common confession that Jesus Christ, his work on the cross and the resurrection, this is the only hope for renewing the face of the earth. That's what we're doing here this morning. So it's going to be like we normally do, but it's also going to be different. That's the end of the sermon. For example, that's just like normal, like five minutes. (laughs) And now we're going to baptize. And after we baptize, we're going to have communion. But communion is going to be like the very first church did it. It's going to be a full meal. And in the middle of it, we're going to get everybody's attention and we're going to remember who's the bread of life. Who's the wine for the life of the world? So that's it for me.